We're talking about Christian moxie specifically. You have a peace that passes all understanding and a joy that is constant and never-ending. A joy that is absolutely constant and never-ending, and that's what we're looking at today. Last week, we looked specifically at peace and anxiety. So if you're an anxious person and you missed last week, you're still anxious. But if you were here, your anxiety is gone and you're free. Now, here's what we said. Here's what happens. Our circumstances come at us like a bullet. And they're ready to cause tons of anxiety for us, hit us right in the gut, kind of like that feeling of anxiety. And when it's coming at us, what happens is this force field of peace comes up. And that bullet hits this force field of peace and drops to the ground. And we never feel anxiety but constant peace. And this all happens by faith. So that was last week. And we touched on joy last week. But this week, you're about to get drenched. Not just because of what's happening out there. It started raining, by the way, guys, if you didn't know that. You're about to get drenched in joy. Now, here's you know, the picture. It's, it's sunny now again. But look, so here's what happens. You know, like that, that you know, it's outside and it's all raining and everything looks dreary. Well, here's what we're finding out today. Here's what you're going to find out. That there is a way to shine brightly with joy, even when all the world around you is dark, when the rain is coming down, there's a way to still shine with joy. And that's what we're getting at today. And if you asked people what they want most in life, ask yourself this, nine times out of ten, people say, I just want to be happy. Like, I just want to be happy. And what I think is happening is all of us are searching for that thing that's going to make us happy, that way to get happy. And we're just trying things out. And we're like, oh, this is working. This isn't working. No, this is not actually working. I thought it was, but it's not. And we're just trying things, hoping that we're going to stumble upon happiness and stumble upon joy. And we're missing it. And we're not really sure if we're doing what, what we're doing is even right. So we're just kind of like fumbling around, hoping that we somehow arrive at this happiness. Today tells us how to get to this deep happiness. Now, this last year of my life, the circumstances have helped actually prepare me to give you this sermon today and the same thing with last week. In fact, the circumstances, along with the series that we're in, have completely changed the way I approach God, the way I approach peace, and the way I approach joy. I have more peace than I've ever had and more joy than I've ever had, and the circumstances have been more difficult, and specifically that has happened in the crazy, but in the last few weeks, these verses have really, I mean, they've changed a lot for me. Let me just say that. And I feel like I have found this endless cave of diamonds that I can just offer to you guys and offer to the world. So I hope, I hope that you hear this today. And our verses are short. We looked at them last week. It's even shorter this week, and they pack a bit of a punch, and in in fact, it says the same thing twice. So here they are. Here's our verses. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now, in this letter, the book of Philippians, Paul says this word rejoice, the, the root word for it, he says it 23 times in this letter. He either says, be glad, he says, rejoice, he says, have joy, or he says, have thanksgiving, and that thanksgiving gives you joy, or you have this grace, and this grace gives you joy. So he's saying this over and over and over again, and one of the main ways that Paul describes what a Christian is like is with this word, joy. The Christian is joyful. 
And that ought to jolt us a bit. Because I know you guys, you know me, I look at the Christianity in America today, and I would definitely say that at the top of that list, the, the characteristics of people who claim to be Christians, joy is not at the top of that list. And so it should jolt us that Paul seems to be saying peace and joy are some of the main, this is the main way to characterize the life of a Christian is a life of joy. Now, I do want to clarify this. Somehow, the way Paul's referring to all of this is joy and sadness are, are, are not opposites. So we see Jesus weeping. I mean, he's uncontrollably weeping when his friend dies, Lazarus. When he dies, he's weeping. He's sad. Yet at the same time, somehow he has joy in the midst of it. And what Paul is getting at is there's a way to have joy no matter what your circumstances are. And that's what he's getting at today, no matter what the circumstances are. And I want you to know, that makes you powerful. It really does. Because what, what, here's what that means. No matter what, you have joy. And that means, say we lived in some horrible dystopia, and something horrible is happening all around us. You would still remain more powerful than these powerful rulers that are causing all of these problems for your life because they can't take your joy away from you. That's something. I mean, that is something right there. There's a, um, there's a book, uh, a, a really a trilogy that I've been reading called Mistborn. I finished it. And in it, there's this character, and he's always smiling no matter what, and he's up against this evil, dark Lord, and, but he still continues to smile, not because his circumstances are good, but because he refuses to be controlled by this dark Lord. And it's his way of saying, you can't control me, but that's not what Paul's talking about here. Paul's talking about a joy that you have because you've already won. Paul's talking about a joy that says you have this future promise that is secured and you can rest in that truth. And because you can rest in that truth, you can actually enjoy those future promises today even. You can even have that joy now. A joy that says, do your worst to me. Because if you do your worst to me, then that's fine. I just go get to be in paradise with my Savior, my Rescuer, and my God. And everything's going to be perfect. A joy that says, I have everything I need in Christ even now. Now, let me give you a definition of joy. If you've been around the church world long enough, you've probably heard this, and it, there's this comparison between joy and happiness. And so this is how the, the comparison goes. Happiness is about your circumstances. If your circumstances are good, then you're happy. But joy is about something that's deeper. It's a deeper level of happiness. Here, here's what I would say, though. I don't know that that's true. And here's why. Because if joy is this deep stuff deep inside of you, and it's constantly flowing into you like this wellspring, then that means that joy is coming up out of you, and it bubbles up to the surface, and then it shows itself in happiness. Even so, let's think about this. The circumstances for the Christian has changed. So your guilt and shame are gone if you're a Christian. You have nothing to feel guilt about. You have nothing to feel shame about because everything's been dealt with in Christ. And also, God is determined to help you become who you're made to become. And you have this future promise that is set where you're going to be entering into paradise and all your circumstances will be perfect. So don't tell me that your circumstances have not changed as a Christian. It's not perfect, but it could be a lot worse because you could be, if you're a Christian, you could be walking through life with tons of guilt and tons of shame and not knowing any type of solution to do with it. And you got all these circumstances coming at you. 
Your situation could be that you don't know what happens after this. And you're not really sure how God feels about you. But if you're a Christian, you're totally secure, understanding that God has forgiven you 100%. There's nothing you could do to make God love you more or less. So don't say your situation has not changed if you're a Christian, because it has. Joy is, so here's the definition. Joy is a happiness that is deep within you that is bubbling up to the surface. Because you have Christ, but your circumstances have changed as well. And in fact, if you can get what I'm about to tell you, it is going to change your life forever. It's going to be something where no matter what your circumstances are, you can have joy. But you've got to realize something. And it's going to sound crazy when I first say it. Your suffering and your pain will lead you into greater joy. Your suffering and your pain will lead you into greater joy. Let me show you. So, the mountain Eden, the mountain garden of God, Eden, where paradise was, where eternal happiness was present because God was present there. That's what we had. And then here's what happened. Eden got lost. We lost Eden. And then what happened when Eden got lost is we went down the mountain. We're running from God, a whole bunch of reasons, but we are away from God and we're away from Eden and we're away from the presence of God. We're down on the bottom of the mountain. And at the bottom of this mountain, there are these raging seas around us. And in the Bible, raging seas or chaotic seas, these de- this depicts, this depicts um, pain and suffering and death. And so you've, you've run, you're, you're kind of hanging out at the bottom of the mountain, and life is not bad, but it's not great. You're wanting to be happy, but you're maybe not experiencing happiness, but you want to be happy, but life's okay. And then here's what happens. The seas start lifting up, and they start raging more. And as that happens, the water is lifting, and you're on the edge of the mountain, and so here's what that means. The water's coming up, and where do you got to go? You've got to go up the mountain. And you feel the weight of the suffering pulling at your feet, yanking on you, trying to pull you down into these waters. And so you start climbing faster, and you climb more and more, and the suffering is rising, and the pain is rising, and it gets so bad that you find yourself up at the top of a mountain in the arms of God, finally realizing something. Oh my gosh, all along it was you who was to be my joy. But you never would have went up that mountain had not suffering come and had not pain come. It's suffering that pushed you into that joy. And you would not have known it had that suffering not come. That's why in the book, that's why James says in the book of James, he says, rejoice in your suffering. Because look, this is what it means. You're rejoicing in your suffering because you know that now pain and suffering, all it can do is make you better. All it could do is level you up. Because you're reaching for him more. Even the bad stuff will give you joy if you know where to go. And, you know, this is something funny about us humans is we like God, but we don't like God. Like, we want him, but we don't want God. G.K. Chesterton, uh, is this brilliant line where he says, the man that's knocking on the door of the brothel is really searching for God. C.S. Lewis has this line where he's talking about our desires and he says what we really need to do is turn our desires up because we have tendencies to think, to, to think what Christianity is about is about turning our desires down. But that's not true at all. Christianity is about turning your desires up. So here's what C.S. Lewis says. He says, we are satisfied playing in mud puddles. 
and we skip from mud puddle to mud puddle because we don't know what it means to have an offer for a holiday at the sea. And what these two guys are trying to convince you to do is not to turn your desires down, but to turn them up to 10. And when you turn those desires up to 10, you're going to run right past that brothel. You're going to run right past that mud puddle. You're going to run right past the bar. You're going to run right past the mall, ladies. I know how you get with your clothes. You're just going to run right up the mountain right to God because you realize he's who you're searching for. He's who you want. So if you aren't happy, I can guarantee you why you aren't because you are in someone else's arms or something else's arms other than God, and it's not delivering for you. He's the only one who can give you this constant, never-ending joy because he is eternal, and he is constant, and he's always enough. Everything else takes from you. Nothing gives and gives and gives like him. And, and look, if you don't listen, if you don't hear anything I say today, just at least store this up in your mind so that when the day comes and you find yourself in this pit of despair, you will think back to what I said. You'll think back to this day and you'll say, I know where to go. I got to climb up that mountain. I got to climb to God. I got to climb to him. I think um, the 27 Club is a perfect depiction of what I'm saying. I don't know if you know what the 27 Club is. I talk about it quite a bit. The 27 Club is a group of famous people who died at the age of 27. They chased fame, they got fame, and it didn't deliver for them. And so they either committed suicide or they let, were led into this reckless life that they ended up dying living this reckless life. Now here's what happened to them. They chased the happiness. They, they used fame for it, they chased happiness, and they finally got it. And they're holding this treasure chest, and they're so excited, and they open up this treasure chest to find out that it's empty and it can't deliver. So they're angry. They throw that treasure chest to the side, and they end up being in this deep pit of despair because it couldn't deliver. In fact, they were probably happier in the chase because the chase gave hope for a future joy. So they chased it, and they always had this hope, but then once they got what they were hoping for, what they were chasing after, it didn't deliver. Now, the question that you should be asking yourself right now is, what are you trusting in to give you this joy? What are you trusting in to give you happiness? I mean, that is the question you have to ask yourself. And that's what it's saying here. To rejoice in something is to use that thing to find joy. It says rejoice in Christ. So whatever you're rejoicing in, that's the thing that you're using to find joy. So three things I just want to throw out there. You could do this with anything. But here's three things that I think we typically will do. We'll chase after joy through success or through comfort or through our family. There's all kinds of things, but let's just take those. So take success. Three things will happen to you if you chase after success. You will miss it, you won't get it, and you'll feel like a failure, and you'll feel like you're in a pit of despair. Or you chase after success and you get it, and you realize it can't deliver, so you find yourself like those in the 27 Club. Or you chase after it, you might be the lucky one, and you never get it. Maybe you're just not talented enough to, chase, to get success, but you can chase it for a while. But actually, maybe that's not so good, because then you'll never realize that the success can't deliver for you that you're chasing. 
And so you chase and you chase, hoping for something to finally satisfy your longing for joy, but it never gives it to you, or you never get it. Or comfort. Maybe for you, joy looks like a comfortable little life. Like you got your house all set, you got your family all set, you got your bank account all set, you got your job all set, everything is just good. And that's, looks, that's what joy looks like to you. But guess what? Once you get it all, you realize at any moment you could lose it. Your house could be, I mean, your kid could get sick. Your house could come tumbling down because you live in Florida and there are hurricanes here. And you know what that does? That fills you with anxiety. And if you have anxiety, then you can't have joy. Or, because we live in Florida, this is a comfortable place to live, yeah, but guess what? About once a month, I see on Facebook that an alligator <laughs> snuck into someone's house. You know, it's not a comfortable life to have an alligator under your bed. Or it's hot outside because we're in Florida. Or because you've lived in Florida your whole life, if it drops below 70 degrees, you freak out and you have to stay inside. Or the mosquitoes come out and you say, well, I guess I could just move to California then. Yeah, you could, but the water's super cold in California. Also, there's fires, and also you probably can't afford to live there. <laughs> so, so, what are you going to do? You see, it's, it, watch this. Listen, listen. You chase after comfort in this life, and it's always running from you. Always just outside of your grip, and you finally get it, and then it slips right through your fingers. All the time, this is happening. Or let's take your family or a love interest or something. Find your joy there. You're going to ruin them. You're going to mess them up. Here's why. You've got to think about this. I'm not saying you can't enjoy your family. What I'm saying is you can enjoy God and your family, but if you put your family as the ultimate joy, you will not enjoy your family or God. Here's why. You've made them the mountain garden. You've made them Eden. And so now what happens? you got pain and suffering in your life, so what are you going to do? Where are you going to go? Are you going to climb up whatever you've made your mountain garden? You're going to climb up your family. They're your Eden. And so you climb them up when suffering and pain are coming in your life, and guess what's happening to them? They're now drowning in your suffering and your pain because they're not glorious enough to hold you up. You need something far more glorious than your family. So this is where you got to go to God. That's why Paul says... Rejoice in the Lord. Bless you. Um, and, and look at this, too. So our verse right after this, in verse 5, it says, let your reasonableness be known to all. Now, I'm going to tell you this right now. If you're chasing joy in something other than God, you will not be reasonable. Because it, what you're chasing joy in can't deliver for you, and so you're not experiencing joy. And I'm telling you, when you're not experiencing joy, you be get, get really desperate to get joy. And so what do you do? You just start acting weird. Like you start doing things that aren't wise. Like the people in the 27 Club. And they, they just turned to reckless living. It was unwise. They probably knew it, but they couldn't help themselves because they were in this pit of despair. They were backed up into a corner, and they had no other choice but to do what they were doing because that's all they knew how to do. Or what to do. They were desperate. That's why Paul says rejoice in the Lord. He's the only one who can give you the joy you're looking for. He's the only mountain that is big enough, glorious enough to hold you up. And do you realize this here? That this is a command. So, okay, think about this. You are being commanded here to be joyful. And if it's a command, then that means if you're not joyful, you're sinning. Sounds pretty harsh. Now watch, let me show you why. Let me show you why. So 
whatever you make, whatever you put your trust in, that's where you go for joy. This is about idolatry. This is about what you worship. Here's what it's saying. Whatever you worship, that's the, whatever you want joy in, whatever you're seeking joy in, that's the thing that you're worshiping. That's the thing you're building your life around. And if you aren't joyful, it's because you're not going to God, you're going to something else. So if you're not joyful, it means you're, you are worshiping a false god, and that is sinful. So that's why Paul can say here, if you're not joyful, you're sinful. Because if you're not joyful, it just means you have crawled up into some, something else's or someone else's arms other than God. See that? And he's commanding you here because he wants you to be happy. And, and so you say, well, how do I be happy? You've got to trust him, and you've got to go to him for your joy. Rejoice in the Lord. This all comes down to faith. If you want to experience joy and you aren't right now, it's because you have a faith problem. The 27 Club people... They were seeking joy in something other than God. They sought it in fame or whatever else it was, and it couldn't deliver. See, fame would not love them back. Fame did not care for them. Fame would not fight for them. Your family is not glorious enough to give you what you need. Like, I know that sounds harsh. Like, well, how dare you say that about my kids? It's true. They don't have the glory needed to hold you up. And if you go to them like they do, see, here's what happens. You go to God like he's got the glory enough to hold you up, the joy to give you enough. Guess what now starts happening? You start pointing other people to him, and they begin to experience that same joy. But if you don't do that, you don't know you're pointing your kids, you're pointing everyone around you to the wrong place. Only he's going to love you back like you need to be loved back. He's the only one who has the love of Eden being offered to you. Only him. And he's good, so you can trust him. And he's powerful enough to give you the, the thing that you need to have joy. He's powerful enough to hold you up in the midst of your pain and your suffering. And you say, okay, well, prove to me that he can be my joy. I can't. I can't prove to you that he will be your joy. All I can do is tell you to go to him and experience it. But you will not experience joy from him until you go to him. And you know what? That's terrifying. Because here's how it goes down. You look over, he's over there, you look over at him, and you say, okay, you can give me joy, but you know something about him. You, study, you stay at a distance from him long enough, you study him from a distance long enough, you know something about him. As soon as someone goes to them, he doesn't let them go. And you say, okay, that means I've got to go all in. And if I go all in to get to him, then that means I'm not going to get let go by him. And you don't know what you feel about him in that moment, and so you're questioning, should you go to him? Because if you do, he's got you forever. But here's what happens. As soon as you go to him, your greatest comfort becomes he's, he's got you forever and he's not going to let you go. Your greatest fear before you go to Christ is that he's not going to let you go. And your greatest comfort once you go to Christ is that he's not going to let you go. This beautiful thing about him. And it's all because he's your joy. And when you go to him, you have to do something. And if you don't do this thing, it's going to mess with you for the rest of your life. You have to let him change your expectations of this world. Because you're expecting this world to give you joy. And it won't do it. 
You're expecting God to, you see, you're going to God and, and you're expecting him to change your circumstances and he's more concerned about you than your circumstances. In fact, he's allowing your circumstances to drive you to him. And many of you are so mad at God right now because you want something from him and he's not giving it to you. And you're, you're, you're ready to yell at him and you're saying this, where is the joy that you promised me, God? And he says, I'm right here. And you say, yeah, but where's the joy that you promised me? And he says, I'm right here. And you say, yeah, but where's the joy that you've been promising me? And he says, I'm right here. And the whole time you don't get it. He was always the one who was to be your joy, not your circumstances. Your circumstances are changing and they're fading and they're getting better and they're getting worse, but he's constant and he's good. You're expecting perfect circumstances in this world, and it's not going to come. The perfect circumstances are waiting for you to come in the world that is to come, and that's what he's doing right now. He's building that world for you. He's preparing a home for you in his father's house. And this is hard to go all in. It's scary to go all in. If you're really like looking at him, and he does not terrify you before you go to him, then you aren't really looking at him. But let me just reason with you about why you should. Your sin is leading you further and further from joy. You're running from him because he's joy, and joy is sin is to run the opposite direction of him, and so you're getting further and further and further away. And he sees you down at the bottom of the mountain, and he just refuses to leave you there. And so he goes for you, and he comes for you, and he comes down the mountain to come and get you. And he gets there, and he says, come on, follow me. I'm your joy, come follow me. And then we killed him for claiming that. But look what he did. His infinite wisdom. He used our lack of faith that he would be our joy. He knew that we would crucify him. And then he used the cross as the way to give us access up the mountain. Because here's the deal. We had no way up the mountain. Because of our sin, there's this barrier that keeps us from the top of the mountain. We can't get up there, and we're stuck there. So what happens is he's crucified at the bottom of the mountain, and guess what happens now? All of our sin is dealt with. All of it's washed away. And now we stand there, God loving us. No matter what we do or not, don't do, he's going to continue to love us the same way no matter what. And he's promised us this world, and so he's made access to, uh, for us to get up the mountain. And then he's so wise, he uses this messed up world to drive us up the mountain because we feel the pain, we feel the suffering. We're yelling at God because of the pain and suffering and he's wanting to use the pain and suffering to prove to you that this world is not your home and to let this world drive you up the mountain. And so you feel that pain and suffering and in his wisdom, that drives you up the mountain. And you run right past everything else that this world has to offer you into his arms and you say, finally, I know I'm where I need to be. So when you doubt his love, look upon the cross. When you doubt that he can be your joy and build the world that you long for, look at the empty grave because he is risen and he's got the power to build the world that you long for. And when you doubt all of this and you say, ah, oh, the cross, the empty grave, this is just like a magic show, here's what you got to do. You got to turn your desires all the way up to 10. And once you do that, you're going to say, no, no, this is really what I've been looking for. This is really the way home. 
And so you turn those desires up and you run right up that mountain into his arms and you finally find the joy you've been looking for in him. Father, we pray now that you would give us this joy. God, the the parts of us that are wanting to run from you, the parts of us that doubt you, the parts of us that look at you and are terrified because if we know if we go to you, you won't let us go. God, let those things comfort us and let us realize that if we go to you, you won't let us go. And God, reason with us now and show us that the best thing we can do if we want to be happy, if we want to have joy, is to go to you. God, put the pressure on us. Don't let us just walk into this room and walk out not thinking about these things, but hold that pressure on us right now. Let us feel the weightiness of the claims of today and let us deal with them and let us go all in with you. And the parts, if, if we're not doing that, God, any one of us that are like holding back, God, I pray that you'd put that pressure on us now and lead us to go all in. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.